0: Welcome to Atmosphere Church. My name is Jim Cruz and I'm the lead pastor. We're a new non-denominational life-giving church located in the Conejo Valley, just west of Los Angeles. Let me just say on behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it'll touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we want to make ourselves available to you in any way we can. Please leave a comment if you need prayer or if you want to speak with one of our leaders in any struggle that you may be facing right now. We will be sure to respond to anything you need in your life. Here at Atmosphere, we believe that we should never forsake the gathering together with other believers. Don't use this recorded service as your church experience. Get involved in the local church to the extent that the people there know you by name. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our community. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at atmosphere.church. Finally, there's a lot of man hours that are put behind making services and resources like this available that are meant to help you grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith. To make a financial donation, simply click on the link on our site that says donate and your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Remember, when you give to Atmosphere Church, you're actually giving through Atmosphere to change lives in our church in our city, and literally around the world. We've already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the service. So we're in a series called Summer in the Psalms because we feel like this summer we wanted to just really unpack some of these psalms that We've been quoting forever that we've went to Hobby Lobby and we bought a coffee mug with you know, with verses on them. And, and, and so we really want to spend some time going over these Psalms. And today we're covering Psalm 46. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 46 It's 11 verses. And if you're new to our church, you're new to the series, just to let you know, the, the book of Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible And most of them were meant to be put to music. And so we are familiar with music. We're familiar with songs, but we don't read psalms like songs very often. And and it's important to kind of keep that in mind as we're kind of unpacking this, because more than just the the theology behind this, there's just this this hope and this comfort and, and this love that you, you can just see oozing out all these Psalms. And of all the 150 Psalms that we know of in our Bibles, Psalm 46 to me personally is probably one of the most encouraging, hope-filled chapters in the whole book of Psalms. And so I can't wait to share it with you and say, why did you play that crazy video about being distracted? Because here's The idea behind Psalm 46, we must experience God in our lives for us to be filled with hope that the trouble that we're in right now is less than the greatness of the God that is moving in our lives. And this is what the whole psalm is based upon. And, and so I don't know how many of you have had a week filled with distractions. I don't know if your cell phone has gotten you in trouble, like some of those videos, that woman uh, that gets twisted around on a phone call. That was hilarious. I'm sorry. Um, but you don't necessarily need a cell phone to be distracted, right? I mean, it could just be a busy schedule. It it could be just that you just have naturally attention deficit disorder, which is a real thing. And I've never been diagnosed with it, but I think I have it a little bit. And I get distracted really easily. You know, that's just that I, I have that tendency. And I'll never forget seventh grade, not just because it was the seventh grade and it's the most awkward time of any Child uh, development. But in seventh grade, I had a horrible, embarrassing moment because, you know, I was on my way to lunch. I was going to get my bicycle and ride my bicycle home for lunch. And so the bell rang, and I'm just beelining it to my bicycle, right? My BMX bike. I'm going out there, and it's way off the beaten path. And so I glance over, and, and I see all the other kids that are just kind of milling around. They got out of their class, and they're heading out. And I, and I see what appears to be my friend and they're with another group and I'm like, hey, what are they doing for lunch? And I and I'm thinking about them, but I'm continuing to walk. Bad idea, because right on the path of the bike rack are all these volleyball poles without nets, with hooks that are sticking out of the pole. And so little Jimmy is walking to the bike rack and a hook from one of these volleyball poles catches my forehead I mean, I saw the Tweety Bird flying around my head like those cartoons, man. I was like, whoa, what just happened? I didn't black out, but I was like, oh, that, that, you know, did anybody see, right? Seventh grader, did anybody see? I'm like, okay, I'm cool. I'm cool, you know? And so I just keep walking, and then I'm like, man, why am I sweating? And I wipe my forehead, and my hand is covered in blood. And then when I did that, I don't know what I did, but it just started pouring blood. I look like some kind of a horror movie, and I'm like, well, do I just keep going to my bike You know, this is a lot to process as a 12-year-old. So I go, no, I better go to the office. And so now I'm far from the office, so I have to walk all the way where all these kids are now, and my head is gushing blood. And so I'm walking going, I hope nobody notices, and everyone's like, oh, get away from the bloody boy! It's embarrassing. But I was like, wow, just if I had just paid attention where I was going, none of this would be happening right now. And there are a lot of things that come in our life that can leave us in big messes if we allow distraction to get the best of us. And I I believe that just like God has a plan for your life, the devil also has a plan for your life. And and his playbook is not real thick. He doesn't doesn't need to run a, a lot of plays against your life. He just needs to run the plays he does really, really well to execute. And one of the places he runs, I'm convinced, is distraction. I also believe discouragement and division are the other two that he uses. I call them the three Ds. But distraction is such a big thing that we need to talk about. Because if you're too distracted, you're going to miss out on God showing up for your life. And more importantly, in your trouble. Because Psalm 46 is addressing the troubles That come all of our way. Let's read verse one here and we'll jump into this idea. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. Notice it doesn't say a very present help from trouble. He says a very present help in trouble. I think a lot of us want to create a narrative that when God comes into our life, that somehow we get a pass from any trouble breaking loose in our life. And so the moment trouble happens. After you become a believer, you start thinking, well, this must not be true, because if God is in my life, I shouldn't be experiencing any trouble, and the Bible never promises a trouble-free experience. Matter of fact, Jesus went on record, and he said, because you live on a broken planet, you are going to have trouble. He says it right there in John 16, But then he goes on to say, but take courage, I've overcome the world. In other words, no matter what trouble comes your way, just know that I've already beat it up. I've already had victory over that. So, because I've had victory over that, and now I live in you, you therefore are an overcomer. So, some of you this morning, you came to church because God wants to whisper. I'm not even going to say whisper, He wants to yell at you. You are not to be overcome by your trouble, you are to be an overcomer in your trouble. Can you receive that this morning, church? I'm preaching this morning. I know we're a new small church, but I got, I've got to, I got to get you guys excited about this. He's your refuge and strength. He's your refuge and strength. He's your shelter. He's your, he's your force field when you go into the trouble that you face. And here's the reality we all face trouble. Have you had a troubled week this week? Have you had something? Because because I started thinking about like examples of troubles that I've been through and I'm like, wow, I have them weekly. Am I alone? Is it just because I'm a pastor and I'm being picked on a little bit more? Or are are you with me that trouble kind of finds its way into all of our lives like weekly? And this week we had the assignment of packing up not just one house, but two houses, because we still had all of our stuff in Vegas that we needed to take care of. And it was hundred, I think, an eight in Vegas um, when we went over there and our car decided that it loved Vegas and didn't want to leave. So it broke down on us. (laughs) So we were going to come back at the U-Haul in the car, but we just came back in the U-Haul. And uh, so our car is still in Vegas that we need to go take care of. And and my wife is like, what are we going to do? And Tara's, you know, working with me on this. And I said, you know what, maybe it's we're supposed to come back to Vegas. I'm supposed to come. back. I don't know but this is not what we ordered. And, and trouble, I like how the Hebrew definition of trouble spells it out for us. It's, it's anything that pins you in, puts you against the wall, or squeezes at you. Does this describe anything that you've been through lately? So I haven't had a trouble this week. I've had a trouble all year. I mean, this describes my year. It, it, it goes on to say anything that creates any kind of stress or anxiety could be, could be labeled as trouble. Has anything caused you some stress or some anxiety in your life this week? I, interesting that I, I pulled this stat up. This is the top seven things that stress out Americans the most. So th- this is where we find most of our trouble. In case you haven't figured out where your trouble has been coming from, let me be the one to be Captain Obvious for you, all right? Here, the first one is job pressure, and job pressure can come from just other coworkers workers and, and relationship conflict that you have with other co-workers, bosses that are jerk faces, right, that are, aren't treating you right, or if you're the boss, it's employees that aren't doing what they're supposed to do, and just the demand. You can't do enough. There's always other things that are on the to-do list. Here's the second one is money. And this could be a loss of a job. This could be just reduced income. This could be all kinds of of expenses that were unplanned that just kind of pop up. I was talking to a guy after last service that is going through some things, some medical issues with his wife. and, And he says, Pastor, people underestimate the pressure monetarily that these medical situations can do, which leads us to the third stressor, which is health and it's it's health care. It's um, whether it's a, um, a, a terminal thing or, or a chronic illness, uh, it could just be chronic pain that people are just stressed out because their, their bodies just are not cooperating with them like they used to. I've discovered this week that moving is a young man's game. <laughs> That's what I discovered. I'm like, this is why student movers is a thing, you know, and so your health uh, relationships. Now, if we are to be honest, most of our troubles in this category, I'm sure there's trouble in the other. Area, but nothing will cause you to stress out more than a conflict in a relationship, whether it's with your spouse or a parent, a child, another sibling, even maybe somebody that you know from church but but those tensions can create so much stress and trouble right um, you 've got poor nutrition, which made the list surprisingly, but now as we 're finding out and all the all these new studies that are coming out on the long term effects of of uh, GMOs and pesticides and and all of these uh, um, preservatives that we've been, you know, bringing into our body and, and all kinds of uh, new information about proteins. And it, it's just like, man, you don't want to eat anything anymore. It's like organic is not even good enough anymore. And, and so there there is this thing like, especially I get this because, you know, we haven't been settled for like the last few years. And so I have had a steady diet of Chick-fil-A and In and an Burger, that, you know, that's better than McDonald's, but but probably not by much. It, it's not really healthy. I mean, both those places are, are based on biblical uh, principles. So maybe God gives a little extra favor. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it parked there. All right. <laughs> so then you got media, all the media stuff that, that we're inundated with. And, and, and we fill up every single moment of our existence with information. You think about that. It's like now you're probably like me when commercials come on. It's like, OK, now I can check my phone uh, or while the TV show's going, you could do like some of my kids do sometimes and they can be watching a show and on their phone. I'm like, how are you even comprehending all of this information being thrown at you? But studies are now showing that that all of this information in our heads is not allowing us to rest mentally, And so there's been a spike of anxiety in our culture, especially with young people, and they're directly relating it to how much time people are spending on social media. It's a direct link. So the more time people are spending on social media, the more anxious they are. And the reason is, is because their bodies and mentally speaking specifically are not allowed to take a breather. And this idea of sleep deprivation you can't sleep at night and that stacks up after a while and and pretty soon you stay awake at night thinking that you can't go to sleep. And that seems weird, but this is how a lot of people live. They wake up at two and because and they're so concerned, they're not going to be able to go back to sleep. They never go back to sleep because they're worried that they won't be able to sleep. So if they stop worrying about sleeping, they probably go to sleep. But anyway, all that to say, we are stressed out, troubled people. And verse one says, God is your refuge and your strength. A very present help in trouble. God is your refuge and strength. This is so important for us to hear. Now, if you're thinking about maybe... A friend right now, a family member right now that is in all kinds of trouble. Do you you know somebody that as I'm preaching this right now, maybe somebody's coming to your mind and you're going, you know, we we have trouble, but but not like so and so they're going through it. You know, I felt a Holy Spirit nudge to create a slide to personalize verse one so that you could send it to somebody. I felt like the Holy Spirit is going to use this verse and he's going to use you to minister to that friend or that family member that is really going through it right now. So I'm gonna give you permission to text in church right now, all right? So what I want you to do, you could do it two ways. You could take a picture of this and send it to them. Say, you know, make sure you send it with a heart emoji and a little praying hands. I don't know. There's a little backstory with that. Or you could type that out. But, but I personalize this because sometimes we read scripture And we don't understand that that is for us. This is for you. It says, God is your refuge and your strength, a very present help in your trouble. Somebody in your life needs to know that God is their solution to their trouble. He's not necessarily going to take them out of their trouble, but he wants to be with them in their trouble. So I encourage you to be obedient and send it to somebody. Maybe you think of a few people, and, and I want a God story from this. I want you to be able to email me or text me later and say, Pastor Jesus, this is so cool that I did this in church because it came right at the right time. We love God stories around here at this, this new church. All right? I'm just telling you right now. But I, I like what it says. It says he's a very present help in trouble. A very present help. And it's interesting as I, I broke this and unpacked this word in the Hebrew language it, it means to be found. It doesn't just mean close proximity. It means to be found, or even better, it means to be, has been found. There, there's, there's a past tenseness to this idea uh, of God being present. He, he has been found. In other words, there's history here. That there's been trouble before, and God showed up in the midst of the trouble and helped bring deliverance. And so the psalmist is saying, we need to go back and we need to remember the way that God has been with us in trouble before. Now, many historians and Bible scholars dedicate Psalm 46 through 48 to King Hezekiah. In the history of Israel, there was a time in the nation's history that the kingdom was split into two kingdoms. You had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom was called Israel Israel. And King Hezekiah was the king of the southern kingdom, the the kingdom of Judah, whose capital was Jerusalem. And so King Hezekiah was a godly king. Matter of fact, as you read the story of the kings, especially the kings of Judah, he was, I believe, the most godly king Judah ever had in their history. A man of God. But he decided one day that all this tribute that he was given to the Assyrian empire was too much, and so they were changing powers. And this new king named Zennacherib was coming into power. And he said, "You know, what? I'm I'm tired of paying tribute. Like there, our good hard earned income is going to this empire that really we get no benefit from. So I'm I'm cutting them off." Well, the king of Assyria didn't like that and said, "Nobody does that to me." And Assyria had already wiped out Israel. Israel was all in captivity. So the Assyrian army decided that, you know what, we are going to march on Judah, specifically on Jerusalem, and we're going to take the city. So King Zennacherib came himself with 185,000 foot soldiers and said, I am taking this city. He had already taken about 200,000 of the civilians captive. And he was about ready to march into the city and completely devastate Jerusalem and take King Hezekiah as a captive. But you know what? He didn't think about Hezekiah praying and Hezekiah being surrounded, literally surrounded by an enemy army that was ready to take them out and knowing full well that if God did not intervene, he was in big trouble. Matter of fact, we read about this in 2 Kings chapter 19. It says, they told Isaiah, who was the prophet, during Hezekiah's reign. He says, this is what King Hezekiah says. Today is a day of trouble, insults, and disgrace. It's like when a child is ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver the baby. He's like, we're out of gas. I don't know how many women here have actually had, you know, childbirth happened to your bodies. But, you know, you get to that point, you know, Tara, my wife had three babies and it it exhausts you. And so Hezekiah is like, I I am in so much trouble. I I don't even know what to do right now. There's nothing left in my tank that that I I can do to help this situation out because he had already tried to go to Egypt and have Egypt try to help him. and, And that, that really made the king of Assyria mad, going, okay, now you're trying to pull in other people? Okay, I'm really going to double down, and I'm taking you out, dude. And so he sends this n- nasty note, this bullying note to Hezekiah, and he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you out. And so Hezekiah takes this letter, and he puts it before the Lord. He just kind of spreads it out. And I don't know if you've been in so much trouble before you didn't even know how to pray about it. He said, like, I don't even know what to do with this. So he just starts laying the letter out and God, God, you see what he said? God, I need some serious help and seriously fast, or else we are gone. And God heard that prayer. And is Judah and Jerusalem, they went to sleep, not knowing what their future was going to be like. They just knew that they gave it to God. And it says, in the middle of the night, an angel, something supernatural happened, and all 185,000 foot soldiers that had surrounded the city of Jerusalem were devastated. They were all killed. So can you imagine this? Hezekiah and all of Jerusalem waking up the next morning going, is this the day we're going to be invaded? And they wake up and they just see all of these bodies. And they didn't lift a finger. They didn't have Egypt be able to help them. God did something supernatural for them in that moment that changed the course of their history. Remember, he's a very present help in trouble. He had proven himself. God had proven himself that no matter how many people surround your life to take you out, I am greater than those enemies. He says, I want you to remember this, that I'm a very present help. I have been proven, I have been found to be your deliverer. I am the overcomer. See, you you need to understand, knowledge of the Bible is important. We need to know our Bibles. But what's even more important than knowledge is experience with God. So knowledge is important but experience with God is essential. That you need to go back and you you need to remember the times that God has shown up for you in your past trouble. And the reason he shows up and he delivers you is so that you will have faith to be able to move into your present trouble and know that the same God that delivered you before is going to be the God that delivers you again. You've got to know this. And Psalm 46 is that gentle reminder going, hey, he's been found. He is a proven help for you. Don't forget this as you go through whatever it is that you're going through. And that was just verse one. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Verse two and three, check this out. This says, therefore, we will not fear. Because we know that God is our refuge and strength and our very present help, he's been proven, we're not gonna fear. Though the earth should change, Though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. We're talking like major devastation to nature. That the earth is moving around us. It's quaking underneath us. And the psalmist is saying, God's got you. Don't worry about it. I don't know what happened the last time We had that earthquake here a couple weeks ago. I I don't know. Maybe you got scared a little bit going, what's going to happen? But here is what we know. That God is greater than anything that we'll ever face. And that even though a lot of things can happen to us on this planet, and a lot of things do happen to people, that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, We have the promise of heaven and not just when we die, but we have the promise of heaven while we live. And God wants heaven moving inside of us and heaven always triumphs over the earth, shaking and quaking and ruling around us and underneath us that God is greater. And therefore you shouldn't fear. The worst thing that can happen to you is that you die. But with Christ living in you, your last breath on earth becomes your first breath in heaven which is going to be your greatest moment. Just trust me on that. I know we haven't experienced it yet, but trust me on that principle. Now, with that in mind, let's go to verse 4 and 5. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So re- remember, the, the imagery is... Jerusalem being surrounded by this invading army. And and here, the psalmist is saying, hey, remember last time we woke up and everything was good. There's a a morning that is dawning in our lives and God's saying, hold on, the morning is coming and this trouble is going to be taken care of for you. Because God is in your midst and God is not going to leave you high and dry. This reminds me, of a story that involves Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus was doing a lot of miracles. And the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 talks about this time that Jesus was doing ministry on one side of the Sea of Galilee and he needed to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they did this by boat. And so he got in the boat with all his disciples and they went across the sea. Now, I'm imagining that Jesus doing all this ministry is making him super tired. And so he goes to sleep. While the boat is going across the lake. And while the boat is going across this lake, a big old storm erupts. The winds start moving, the waves start pouring into the boat, and it was so nasty that the disciples, who were fishermen, most of them, they knew the sea and they were like, we're in big trouble. We're gonna probably die. And so they're freaking out and they go wake Jesus up. And Jesus wakes up and says, Oh, you of little faith. And he goes out there and he speaks. To the wind and to the waves, and everything calms down. He tells these guys, like, hey, come on, get it together. And I'm imagining he went back to sleep. I don't know, it doesn't really tell us, but I kind of read into this like, you just irritated Jesus, like, come on, guys. Like, you know better. Like, if I'm in your boat and I'm the Son of God, you're good. You, you don't have to be all worried. I'm in the boat. And so I think the message for us in Psalm 46 and Mark chapter four is the same message that when God is in the midst of your life, you have nothing to worry about because he's with you. Remember the most repeated promise in the Bible from cover to cover is God is with you. And that should bring you a lot, a lot of comfort. Now with that in mind, We got to talk about this river business because it says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God so much. And so often in the New Testament, the river is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. And and I want you to know that atmosphere church is a very much a spirit driven church. And we want the river to be flowing here. And, And that that looks like miracles a lot of times. That looks like words of knowledge. That, that looks like the prophetic. It, it, God is still doing the same things he was doing in the book of Acts today. And I'm not saying that because theologically that's how I, I look at it, even though I do, but I've experienced it. God is still moving in our world like he did back in the Bible times. But what I want you to really see is that there is our ability to quench the spirit. To cut off the river from flowing and sin is a big part of how that happens and we, we need to talk about that because it, it mentions it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 it talks about quenching the spirit and I don't know how many of you have ever been like watering your garden or maybe washing your car and, and you have that hose, that nasty hose and you pull it and it just like it just kinks and you're just like super irritating right? You're just like come on man and you're shaking the hose am I the only one doing that? Come on man let's go fix it and then all of a sudden you get the kink out. And you're like, all right, cool. You know, it's flowing again. So I, I want you to know that your lifestyle can kink the hose. It can quench the spirit from moving in. And it's important for you to have the spirit moving in you, not just so that other people can be ministered to, but so that you can remind your soul about how powerful your God is. Because when God starts using you to minister to other people, as much as it blesses the other person, I don't know, when when God uses me, I think I get more excited than the person is that is receiving the blessing. Because I'm like, whoa, God just used me, little old me. Sinful old me. It's just like, this is amazing. So don't quench the spirit. Let the river flow. It's an old vineyard song, isn't it, Phil? Let the river flow. Yeah, okay. I'm not a singer. Verses 7 and 11. Same verse, repeated twice, like any good song will do. We'll throw up the chorus a couple times to really give you the significance of the song. And this is it, verse 7-11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And there's that word, again, that you saw in verse 3. There's, there's a word, Selah. And I'm going to come back and, and mention that in a minute. But, but the whole psalm is, is about this idea of like, okay, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. I, I believe in these two verses lie the keys of how you handle the trouble that you're in. Let's break this down. Let let me show you, okay? Here here it is. When trouble comes in your life, I want you to remember these three things. Number one, God is with me. God is with me. So important. When when you're going through trouble, a lot of times you feel like it is devastating you because you're like, I'm by myself. There's nobody that understands me. You're wrong. You've got a God that completely understands you and, and he's living on the inside of you and he's with you. He will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. And that is so huge to know and remember when you are in trouble because you're not in it by yourself. Here's number two is God is for you. And I, and I love how this verse uses God of Jacob said of God of Israel. And there's significance in my mind to that. The God of Jacob is identifying with the God that <laughs> that is still willing to love misfits, that is still willing to love people that are pretty hard to love. If you've ever found yourself going, I'm a misfit, I'm hard to love, you know what, <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm a pretty broken person. Well, guess what, you're in good company because so is Jacob. Jo- Jacob was a deceiver, he was a conniver. He was a, he was a, a person that was less than perfect, less than the the trophy person that you would want your kids to to model their lives after. But yet God identified with Jacob, just like God is willing to identify with you even though you're less than perfect. See, the narrative we paint in our mind is that somehow God is through with us, God is done with us, and so he's not for me. And then when you get into trouble and you already think that God is, is abandoning you, going, hey, you know what, you had it coming. You know, that that is a sinking feeling when in reality, the Bible, the narrative of, of the Gospels tells us exactly the opposite, that God is for you. He knows you're a conniver. He knows that you're a deceiver, but he's willing to love you anyway. And the Bible goes on to say, if God is for you, who can be against you? Come on, somebody. God is for you. Here's the third thing you need to remember from this. That God has the high ground. It's interesting that this is a different word in the Hebrew language than the word that we saw in verse one. That word is refuge. Here here it is, stronghold. And I I like how this this word is miskab in the Hebrew, and it means high place. It's a military term. And when these ancient civilizations fought each other. And remember, most of them are being done by horses, chariots, and foot soldiers. The army that had the high ground had the upper hand. And so what the psalmist is declaring is that God is our stronghold. He's our fortress. He's our high ground. That no matter how many foes are coming against us, no matter how big the problems are, No matter how high it's stacking up, it cannot stack up higher than God, who is on the ultimate high ground in your life. God has a high ground. So he is always one up from the enemy that is pressing against your life. And that is so important to remember while you're going through trouble going, you know what? This is a big problem, but I'm so grateful that my God is bigger than my big problem. Can you receive that this morning? My God is greater than this great thing that is coming against my life. It's important to know this. Now, verse 10, here's the Hobby Lobby poster coffee cup verse that you've all seen, I'm sure. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be honored by every nation and I will be honored throughout the world. Now, the new American standard uses the word cease striving. And, and, and as cool as that sounds, just be still and know that I'm God. It's like, chill, bro. <laughs> chill out. It's not it's not chill out, bro. This is a hey, control freak. Put your hands to your side and let God have the control. This this is a rebuke. Why? Because people haven't changed over all of these thousands of years. That some of us, if, if we're not in control of a situation, we feel out of sorts. Have any control freaks in the house this morning? Uh, people that just like when, when you drive somewhere, they have to be the driver, because if they want to stop to the restroom, they don't want to have to ask anybody. They're going to do it. They want to stop for a Slurpee. They don't have to. Ask, they're going to do it. They're, they're They're the driver. They're the one in control. And and what this psalm is saying is like, hey, literally, be still means to put your hands to your side. Stop trying to make things happen. And Hezekiah was trying to make things happen. He was trying to get the king, the pharaoh, to help him. Take care of Assyria. He he was taking matters in his own hands, saying, okay, if I got an enemy that's greater than me, I need to get another person as my ally. And so together we'll be greater than the enemy. He was handling this on a logical side of of how you deal with this. And God's like, no, let me handle this. Have you ever been in trouble and then you go and try to fix the trouble and you actually make more trouble? than you had before you tried to fix it? Mm Mm-hmm. I've done that as a handyman at my house uh, in repairing items. My wife has now said, I do not mind if you call repair people because we end up paying a lot more when you try to fix something because you make it worse. Let me tell you, that's a lot like how we handle life. There's so many times early in my even my relationship with God where I knew what I needed to say or do to fix something. And I indirectly made it worse. You know, when there's a fire brewing, you know, you want to put water on it and and put it out. And then I inadvertently would put gasoline on it and make it worse. And I'm like, what happened? God's saying, you don't have my wisdom. You you need to let me handle this battle. You, You need to, cease striving. You need to be still. Like, like we would talk to our preschooler that is really antsy in a situation. Be still. God's saying, I've got this. Quit, quit trying to meddle because you're actually making it worse. I'll never forget this moment as a pastor where this, this whole idea was, was really clear to me. There was a situation in the church. There was a man that had been involved with our church community. And it it was a very bad situation. I'll I'll leave it there. And as the pastor, as the leader, because it was involving other church people, I had to be kind of like the dad. And and I had to handle this situation. And I knew I had to handle this situation. But I knew enough to know that once I confronted this, that it was going to possibly make another mess and that people may get the wrong story and it might blow up and the church could divide. I mean, we've, we've all heard stories like this before. And so I, I like knew what I was going to say. I knew how I was going to do it. I was going to execute it. This was going to be. And then I was praying about it one morning and the Lord said, it's mine. It's mine. And I go, but God, I know what to do. I, you know, I, I've been doing this long. Enough. And he's like, Jim, put your hands down. Be still. I got you. You need to back off. You need to give me some time. So I did. But I was ready, man, because I was getting kind of mad at this guy. I was like, man, I know exactly what I want to tell him, you know, in Jesus' name. (laughs) I I knew what I was going to do. I had the whole speech already written in my head. Lord said, stop it. So I let a week go by. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I was praying about it this guy apologizes to me and a bunch of other people and completely repented and reconciled everything. And I was like, wow, I was was so ready to just get in there and just fix it. But the Lord already was fixing this man's heart when I didn't even see it. See, we gotta understand something that the Lord can do more while you're sleeping than what you can do while you're wide awake. Think about that. All of those foot soldiers were taken out while everybody was asleep. God can do more while you're sleeping than you could ever do while you're awake. He's got you. But you gotta be still. You gotta cease striving because honestly, you're not in control. That's a mirage, baby. That is a mirage. You're not in control of anything. God is, so it's time to hand the control over to the one who controls everything. And says, so be still, know, that word know is yada in the Hebrew, it means to perceive or to discover, and know that he's God. Here's the distraction part. This is, this is the distraction. That God is up to doing amazing things in your life right now, and you're so distracted, you're not even connecting the dots. And that's the plan of the enemy, because you can't see God at work in your trouble. You're going to get discouraged, which leads to the other D. So it starts with distraction, moves into discouragement and then possibly even division. And you got all three things flying at you. But you got you got to pursue. You got to discover. And this is where that word Selah. remember, I mentioned that word earlier. This is where the Selah moment comes. Three times in Psalm 46, it mentions this word selah, and it's a mysterious word. Even, even Hebrew scholars are like, we, we really, we're kind of like stunned by this word. We, we don't really know the significance of this word, but many scholars believe it's connected to another word that they do know the meaning of, and it's the word salah. It's a lot like selah, but it's salah, and salah is a Hebrew expression for pausing and thinking about something. So it kind of makes sense in a song that you would be singing and you have these Selah moments where you just like pause and you're just like, okay, what is the Lord doing right now in this moment? And it's in the Salah moments that we start perceiving and discovering the ways that God is moving in the midst of our trouble. That he's there, but we're so busy and preoccupied, we're not even seeing him. Sociologists said it started with our iron age and then the iron age moved to the industrial age, the industrial age moved to the, uh, information age. And, and now we're into a whole brand new age of distraction an age where we're so full of information that we can't even think straight. It reminds me of Jacob in Genesis. He was having a dream. And God met him in the dream. And and this is so, I I believe this is so true for all of us. It says, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. You, You could be so distracted that you don't even perceive or discover the way that God is moving in the midst of your situation. What I believe Psalm 46 gives us an opportunity to do is practice the discipline of Selah. Practice the discipline of pausing our lives, slowing our lives down, and really allowing some clarity of how God is moving in our midst. And I believe as we have more Selah moments in our life, we're gonna start seeing God move in our life, which is gonna encourage our faith, which is gonna help us not be stressed out, which is gonna help us Completely conquer the fear that wants to control our lives. It all comes down to this Selah. And there's something even that saying that word Selah. It's just like ah, God wants to fill our lives more with awe than distraction. Hey, thank you for tuning in today to another message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on YouTube, iTunes podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and even on Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and click either the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. And until next time, we pray you'll keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. God bless you.